Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and it's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. If you haven't found the podcast yet, go check it out. We have a lot of people that are finding it, discovering it. I'm getting more listeners all the time and it's exciting because I believe that the podcast is opening up avenues uh, to more listeners than this uh, uh, radio show can do. So thank you so much if you found it and you like it. Share it with your friends. Go tell somebody so we can get as many people the information they need to obtain their ultimate vitality. On today's show, I'm going to take on a topic that I've been, uh, well, it's been percolating in my mind for some time now, and that is the topic of mental health labels. I'm talking about things like ADD, ADHD, bipolar, and what, a thousand others, OCD, you name it. I'm going to not be talking about a lot of specifics within those labels as much as I'm going to be talking about the topic in general. And I get that this is a very sensitive topic, and part of the reason that I've taken my time delivering it is because I want to do it sensitively in an appropriate manner. Your experience is different than my experience. And we can only utilize the perspective that we have. Thankfully, I have a unique perspective in that I work with a lot of people that deal with these things on a regular basis as clients of mine at Vitality. So I hear a lot of stories and a lot of other people's perspectives when it comes to mental health. And mental health because of the stigma associated with it that needs to be eliminated from our society, uh, comes with its fair share of challenges outside of just the mental health issue itself. So today's episode is largely going to be dedicated to that uh, mental health and the labels and how those labels are applied and why that can be problematic. I'm going to start off by talking about an article that I did not like very much at all in Parenting Magazine, and that's how we'll roll with The Vital Rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Now, as I said before I started the rant, I recognize that this is a sensitive topic and I am not a healthcare professional, certainly not a mental healthcare professional. 
I really am taking a different approach here today, and you'll hear it as I go, of a concerned citizen and concerned about what I see with how mental health labels are applied and what it can do to an individual. And again, I will be speaking sensitively, but boldly as I talk about this topic, and I hope that you find help within the words that I share. Okay, so there was an article about the seven pink flags written in Parenting Magazine this week, and I didn't know what seven pink flags were, so I, <laughs> I thought, well, it might be an interesting read. I'll give it a shot. Here are the first two paragraphs of that article. The words mental illness may send a little shiver down your spine, but putting a name to a group of psychological symptoms is important. Insurance reimbursement, special accommodations at school, and successful treatment all depend on it. If you have concerns about your child's mental health, start by discussing them with your pediatrician. We often talk about these worries as being pink instead of red flags, explains Rahil Briggs, a psychiatrist who is the National Director of Healthy Steps at Zero to Three in Washington, D.C., although they aren't necessarily glaring signals of a clinical disorder, they can be subtle evidence of a developing problem. So that's the introduction uh, to the article, and then they list the seven uh, individual signs that you may want to look for. And I don't have time on the, the show to go through all seven, and that's really not the point of why this article is receiving my rantings, I guess, today. I'm going to list the first couple just so you can get an idea of what was in the article, but then we're going to uh, talk about why I believe this article is uh, going the wrong direction for sure. Number one is disordered sleep. Beyond babyhood, it says kids should be getting around 10 hours of shut-eye per night. Serious concerns go far beyond the usual gripes. Children with depression sometimes seem excessively sleepy and drawn to bed at odd hours of the day. Those with anxiety, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or DMDD often take hours to fall asleep and wake up multiple times every night. Number two is tummy trouble. Belly aches are a common kid complaint, but frequent stomach aches that can't be explained by constipation or a food intolerance might have psychological roots. Research has long linked chronic GI woes in children with both anxiety and depression. Okay, so this gives you an idea of the article. There's five more pink flags, and it goes on to mention all of those, further encouraging parents to look into getting a diagnosis for their child. I often wonder if these magazines run articles specifically at the request of their pharmaceutical marketing partners. So while there can be advantages of obtaining a diagnosis of a mental illness for your child, I believe that the negatives in many cases outweigh the positives, and oftentimes it's not close. Oh, and as you will notice, the information I'm about to share applies to all ages, not just children. Let's dig into the issue and see what we can learn. From the CCHR, Citizens Commission for Human Rights, they say, without any test for mental disorders, the door is wide open for a misdiagnosis and the underlying physical problem is not found. Without any scientific evidence, how can one have any faith in a psychiatric diagnosis? Without any blood test, urine test, x-ray, or MRI, 
There are only theories and opinions about symptoms. There's no cause, therefore no cure, for the supposed behavioral issues. Just abundant, severe, adverse side effects from their mind-altering psychotropic drugs. When trying to fix the more typical inattentive or disruptive behaviors of children, there are physical conditions that are often misdiagnosed as a mental disorder because of the behavior associated with the condition. Perhaps a child is allergic to something in his environment or something he eats causes him to act out, be depressed, or manic. The allergy goes undetected and the mental disorder is diagnosed instead. Wouldn't it save a lot of heartache or just or to just get tested for everything under the sun to find out what is causing his behavior instead of labeling the child as having mental health issues? Perhaps the child's body just needs more than it is getting. And these are my words now. Perhaps an anxious child is deficient in magnesium. Perhaps a child who struggles with focus or concentration is deficient in magnesium, omega-3s, or B vitamins. Perhaps a child who experiences depression was on antibiotics at a young age and has not been able to optimally produce serotonin because of that ever since. I can't agree more with the CCHR on this. I often ask my clients at Vitality what is wrong with trying to figure out a natural alternative before resorting to drugs, especially when it comes to mental health, because we seem to behave in such a way that we think, well, the brain is its own little entity. It's up there in our heads. It's not part of the body. It's its own thing. And if it's malfunctioning, then we need to treat the brain. But we know that that is not at all the case. The brain is connected directly to the gut and, frankly, to every other part of the body through the central nervous system. And when the brain is quote-unquote malfunctioning or disordered or diseased or ill in some way, we need to go a lot deeper than just the symptoms that are being expressed. But of course, in modern medicine, symptoms are king. Underlying causes are often swept under the rug. And yet, so often, when we sweep them under the rug, we completely miss the mark. And what happens next with diagnosis and labeling can lead to some devastating things. So let's talk about this. I don't have time to go through all the pink flags like I mentioned, but I want to hit number two one more time to illustrate my point. Tummy trouble was number two in the pink flags. Belly aches, it said, are a common kid complaint, but frequent stomach pains that cannot be explained by constipation or food intolerance might have psychological roots. Research has long linked GI woes in children with both anxiety and depression. Now, this is such an interesting angle, and while it might be true that a stomach issue could actually be a psychological issue, because we absolutely know that anxiety, among other things, can cause stomach discomfort. However, There is not one of the seven pink flags that I wouldn't at least explore the question of, could this mental health concern originate in the gut? For years, I have talked to clients at Vitality about all kinds of mental health concerns, and I always ask them about their gut before I ask them about their brain. 
Do they experience indigestion, heartburn, reflux, constipation, diarrhea, nausea, bloating, gas, etc.? My experience has been that it is more likely that a gut problem manifests itself as a mental problem when in reality, if we got the gut fixed, the brain would work just fine rather than the other way around. After I discuss gut health with my clients, I usually recommend a very specific probiotic, normally just thrive. You've heard me talk about it before probably because it can really truly help restructure the gut and get the bacteria levels where they should be. And I mentioned earlier, a child with depression may have depression, not because of what's going on or not going on in his brain, but because what's going on or not going on in his gut. We know that 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut and then shuttled to the brain, but not the other way around. So, We have to recognize that the gut plays a major role. It is now being referred to as the second brain. It is so critical. And yet, if we go in for a diagnosis of ADD or OCD or whatever it is, depression, anxiety, are we asked by our mental health professionals what's going on in our stomach? I would say more often than not, Absolutely, we are not. We are, they, they look at the DSM, the book that they use to diagnose these things, and they look at the symptoms and they say, bing, it must be that. As CCHR pointed out earlier, there are not solid tests to determine if someone is bipolar or attention deficit. There are only lists of criteria and symptoms. It's not that scientific if you think about it, and yet then we use science to treat it. So back to what I was saying about the tummy aches, the tummy trouble. It's obvious when there's tummy trouble that you want to look at what's going on with the gut, but it's far less obvious when there's tummy trouble with your child or as an adult that you would be, or when there's mental trouble that you would be looking at the gut, right? So I always handle tummy aches by treating the tummy. But what if a parent comes asking about how to naturally help a child focus in school? Guess what? I still ask about the gut first because the brain, to a very large degree, is only as good as the gut is. If the gut is a mess, the brain generally follows suit. So after we talk about the gut, I explain that 85% of Americans are deficient in magnesium and about the same are deficient in omega-3. Well, once we recognize that 70% of the gray matter in the brain is made up of omega-3 fatty acids and magnesium is needed in over 180 metabolic functions, including relaxation of the central nervous system itself, then we can see that ADD symptoms are often not ADD symptoms at all. They are nutritional deficiency symptoms. And that's a very, very different animal. And wouldn't it be prudent to treat a deficiency symptom with something we can actually have a deficiency in? After all, while there are deficiencies in magnesium, there are deficiencies in B vitamins, there are deficiencies even in the good bacteria in the gut, there are deficiencies in omega-3, there is no deficiency in Ritalin. 
And what if you do decide to go get a diagnosis? You really want to know what's going on so that you can figure out how to fix it. What could go wrong? Well, this is where it gets tricky. First off, yes, a proper diagnosis can be helpful, especially if you decide to go the pharmaceutical route. However, think twice before you decide you want a proper diagnosis. In fact, now I want to shift focus to every age group, not just children. All of what I'm about to say applies to all ages. What could go wrong with getting that diagnosis? In 2012, a study by Bipolar UK, the Royal College of Physicians, and Bipolar Scotland found that people with bipolar disorder wait for an average of 13.2 years. 13.2 years before they are diagnosed and often spend years receiving treatment for other conditions. Of 706 people surveyed, only 15% received a prompt diagnosis, while 85% experienced diagnostic delay. Most of them were wrongly told they had depression, writes Dennis Campbell for The Guardian. Among the 85% of whose diagnosis was delayed, 71% said that their symptoms had become worse as a result of receiving inappropriate treatment, such as antidepressants or sleeping pills. As Suzanne Hudson, chief executive of Bipolar UK, says, a delay of this length has a significant impact for individuals and families, with sometimes devastating consequences, as bipolar has the highest rate of suicide of any psychiatric illness. Of course, people with bipolar disorder are not the only ones vulnerable, though, to misdiagnosis. Misdiagnosis can happen with any mental health disorder, says Gabrielle Moss, a writer for Bustle. For example, a 2009 meta-analysis of 50,000 patients published in the Lancet Journal found that general practitioners only correctly identified depression in patients in 47.3% of cases. Meanwhile, a 2008 study by researchers at the Brown University School of Medicine found that 57% of adults diagnosed with bipolar disorder did not meet diagnostic criteria upon more comprehensive diagnostic review. Aside from bipolar disorder and depression, some of the most frequently misdiagnosed mental health disorders include borderline personality disorder, ADHD, PTSD, and anxiety. So now we know that misdiagnosis is a major problem. And with misdiagnosis can come mistreatment. And we'll talk a little bit more very soon about the other issues that come with any diagnosis, right or wrong. So what if the diagnosis is accurate? Then what could go wrong? Well, according to Haverford College, a huge source of controversy concerning psychiatric labeling is the fact that the label assigned to an individual by a mental health practitioner often becomes a concrete problem or a reality for the individual. This means that the individual internalizes their given label as a core part of their identity and lives within the limitations and experiences that their label provides. This is a really difficult concept to understand, but here's an example that might clarify things a bit. Blue skin, green skin. 
Imagine you lived your whole life thinking your skin was blue. You did blue things and lived and acted in blue ways. Then suddenly something happens and you notice that your skin has turned green. Because you don't quite feel like yourself anymore and you think something might be wrong, you go see a doctor. The doctor talks to you for a while and explains to you that you are now green. The doctor also told you that having green skin means that you have to live in a different way from the way you lived before. The doctor explains that your life might be more difficult now and that you might notice certain new green behaviors about yourself. Even though you knew you had always been blue and you still might feel blue, you trust that the doctor says that you are green and that is true. So you accept that your skin is now green. After leaving the doctor's office, you feel different. Now that the doctor has told you your skin is green, you start to notice that green things or start to notice the green things that you do. And there seem to be a lot of them. Now you do far less blue things than green things. Now that's a pretty generic little tale, but it's interesting. And here in a minute, I'm going to share with you a true blue-green story with someone who's very close to me. And hopefully it will sink in a little more than maybe the blue-green story did. An individual with a psychological disorder can come to associate strongly with their assigned label, which can often lead to the perception that their illness is chronic and unmanageable. With the combination of the stigma surrounding mental illness and the internalization of their label, the individual can come to define themselves as a mentally ill person rather than a person with mental illness. Those labels do not only affect public perception of an individual and lead to discrimination, but they can lead to severe internal perception of one's self and self-discrimination. This leads to a lack of belief in one's ability to function normally in society. I have a dear friend who has struggled with her mental health for as long as she can remember. She is 47 years old now. I met her about two and a half years ago. During our first conversation, she identified herself as being bipolar. I bristled. I always bristle at these labels, both mental and physical. After I got to know her a little better, I mentioned to her that I didn't believe she is bipolar. I believed that she dealt with bipolar-type tendencies, but that it didn't define her. I also asked her what meds she was on. She immediately knowing I owned a natural product store, said, oh, I won't ever be able to function without my meds. Okay, sit tight while I unravel this line of thinking and her use of words because it's really important. She said, I am bipolar. I will never be able to function without my meds. There is so much wrong with that. I am bipolar. I am. Those two words are very powerful. Never say I am followed by something that limits you, stigmatizes you, or makes you feel poorly about yourself. I am bipolar is a horrible way to look at yourself. As I read above, it immediately puts restrictions on what you are capable of and what you are not. It pigeonholes you into a very limited outlook on life. It creates 
hopelessness. And in reality, it damns you from becoming what you might have been. And then on top of stating that she was bipolar, she told herself and anyone else that asked that she could not function without her meds. Her meds. She took ownership of them as if she was Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. My precious meds. How gross is that? I am sick. I can't not be sick unless I rely on my precious meds. And even with my meds, I won't be able to function as well as all of the normal people out there because in case you forgot, I am bipolar. Let me finish the story now about this friend. She was relieved when after decades of being diagnosed as just depressed and medicated correctly for depression, but incorrectly for bipolar, that she finally got a proper diagnosis of bipolar. She was relieved because she had suffered from the wrong meds for years with either no results or bad side effects. When she finally was medicated for bipolar, she began to feel better than she had for a long time. When she was so adamant with me that she would never be without her meds, I asked her what she was on. I researched those prescriptions, and I asked if she would be willing to use some natural things to help along with her meds. She agreed to do that. You see, her meds weren't working that well. She still struggled. She just struggled less than she had before. And I will say she was incredibly convinced that she would backslide like crazy without them. She was terrified of ever even considering life without them. Well, guess what? After a year, or sorry, about a year after I asked her to take CBD, Just Thrive Probiotic, back on track, because she had stomach issues too, omega-3, and magnesium, she, without telling me, she made the decision to try life without her meds. She safely and smartly weaned herself off and then told me what she was doing after the fact. She has been med-free for over a year now. This morning, I asked her if she considered herself to be bipolar. She wrote me this response. Do I think I'm bipolar? I used to 100% believe I was bipolar and it made me who I was. That there was no way out of it. It was just a matter of learning to manage it the best I could while crossing my fingers that others would deal with it. Now, when I really think about it, based on some new things that I've learned, I believe it can be changed with some work. But it's hard and scary to lose what you considered your identity and a little overwhelming to try and figure out what it really is. Now, listen to her words. These are her words about her condition and her life experience. It's hard and scary to lose what you considered your identity. Her identity was no longer her. It was bipolar. And now it's a little overwhelming to try and figure out what her identity really is. 
trying to find herself again after recognizing that maybe bipolar doesn't define her. She goes on to say, I never believed I could function off of my meds, and it's now been over a year. I believe I'm doing much better than I was when I was medicated. I can think more clearly, and my ups and downs don't last as long and aren't as intense. It's easier to pull myself out of them. The meds never fixed anything. They just numbed me to the point that I didn't feel much of anything, good or bad. Do you see the problem with a label in the case of my friend? She was labeled and then studied the crap out of that label in all the mainstream sources until she was so convinced that it was who she is that she truly adopted that as her identity to the point where even today, a year after she dropped her meds and doing so much better than she has in decades, she still doesn't know who she is because she was just bipolar for so long. Perhaps you can tell that I have had a different perspective on this for a long time. When she told me she was bipolar, I said I bristled because by that point, I already knew that she wasn't bipolar. I knew she was far more than any diagnosis. But even me, someone who believes very differently than most, I wondered if I should get entangled with this person. Did I need a bipolar person in my life? I seriously considered that question. I almost fell for the stigma. Almost. But then I reminded myself of what I am trying to get across to you today. She wasn't bipolar. She was just her. I refused to buy the label or the stigma. I refused to let her accept it at face value too. As you can see, she still isn't fully comfortable with not being bipolar. But guess what? She has become, over the last two and a half years, my best friend. I know her as well as I know anyone. And I know that she was never bipolar. She wasn't. She was deficient. She was and still is burdened by incorrect thought patterns. She was and is recovering some, from some abusive people in her life. But she is not and never was bipolar. She is amazing. She is powerful. She is as strong as iron. She is a deeply beautiful soul with a massive, gentle heart. She is passionate, and she is honest. She is all of those things, and she also happens to deal with some tendencies towards depression and anxiety and PTSD. But she is not bipolar. And neither are you. And while I've been focusing on bipolar here, it applies to ADHD, which if you look in the DSM, is me. And it applies to PTSD. And it applies to major depressive disorder. And it applies to anxiety and all of these other labels. You are not your label. Think about this. We are, as a society, fighting hard to end racism, sexism, bullying, and a variety of cultural wrongs. We no longer tell Polak jokes like I did when I was a kid, for instance. Heck, I don't even think we tell blonde jokes anymore. Yet, here we find ourselves in the enlightened years of 2020, where we give a license to professionals to label us with all kinds of things 
that create stigma, fear, isolation, stereotyping, and discrimination. After all, not all black people are criminals, not all cops are crooked, not all of any race, sex, or profession are any certain way. And the same can be said about people who experience depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, bipolar, ADHD, or any other mental health label. Every single one of these labels are worn by very different people who experience their symptoms differently. But when they are labeled, they are put into a box with certain expectations associated with the label on that box. That is not okay. It is not okay for my friend, your child, or even you yourself to be put, in, to be put into a tidy box with a descriptive label when we all know that the other people in that box with you aren't the same as you are. It's not okay to take away hope for a better future, motivation to keep trying, and potential to be better, healthier, and happier than you are at the moment of your diagnosis. We must be more careful because words and labels have power and meaning. Once we accept that we are a certain way via diagnosis, it can bring temporary relief, but can also bring with it a lifetime of societal and self-imposed expectations and limitations. You, me, all of us are greater than any diagnosis that we may have received. And better yet, I believe and have proven time and time again with my clients that we can overcome these labels, that we can delete those limitations. Our bodies require certain things to function optimally. When they receive those things, they will respond. If you or a loved one are struggling with mental illness, call us at 801-292-6662 and schedule a free consult with me. I will help you understand what your body might be missing. Again, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a social worker. I'm not an MD. What I do and how I help is by helping you discover what your body might be missing, what things are in your body that might need to get out of your body, whether it's excessive uh, fungal uh, things that are causing infections like candida or excessive toxicity like heavy metals and things like that. And also what's missing. If you have a magnesium deficiency, like the majority of us do, if you have an omega-3 deficiency, like the majority of us do, and I'm not saying that what I do is miraculous, that all of a sudden people just get better. What I'm saying is, why shouldn't we start with our body having everything it needs and then see what it can do with it? Give it the benefit of the doubt. We have these miraculous beautiful, brilliantly designed human bodies that also happen to be a little fragile and that also happen to need a lot of balance, hormonal balance, vitamin and mineral balance, fatty acid balance, amino acid balance. There are lots of little things that need to be balanced in order for our bodies to function at their optimum. 
the vast majority of us are functioning at suboptimal levels because we have suboptimal nutrition. And that really is as simple as that. You can go way back when we used to believe that you are what you eat and recognize that we should still believe that. We don't have deficiencies in Prozac. We don't have deficiencies in Ritalin. We don't have deficiencies in mood-stabilizing drugs. We don't. Those things go in and override our body's natural systems to force them to function the way that we hope that they will. So why not start at the bottom and work up from there? Start at the very bottom of this whole thing and work up from there. Give our bodies the materials that they need to function at their best. You wouldn't expect a sports car to run well on water diluted gas, right? You want high octane. You don't need water in that tank. And yet our human bodies have things in our things that we put in them, but that are also put into them by environmental toxins that dilute the gasoline that we're running on. It isn't simple, it's complex. And yet, in its complexity, there is simplicity. Give your body what it needs, it will reward you handsomely. I have another story that I want to share uh, after I come back from the break that is not a mental health thing, but a very, very interesting story that I've experienced with one of my clients that gives you a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. But before I end this rant, I want to say this and kind of reiterate what I started with at the beginning. This is a hard topic, mental health. People that struggle with these types of symptoms, bipolar symptoms, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, attention deficit symptoms, and so on. It is a challenge, and it can deeply impact your life. Absolutely, I get that. And so when I talk about these things, I take that into account, recognizing that, again, my perspective is not your perspective. I started out with three simple goals. And I hope that I've achieved them. I wanted to bring to your attention the need for a reconsideration of diagnostic labels. Even if modern medicine won't reconsider, we must reconsider adopting those labels as our identity or accepting those labels as the identity of people we know who have been so diagnosed. We have to recognize that no matter what the diagnosis, it does not define us. Number two, I wanted to provide hope. Regardless of what the mental or physical illness might be, the human body has certain requirements. If we meet those requirements, we can and we will improve, often in dramatic ways. And finally, a reminder that to a very large degree, you are what you believe that you are. What you do or have done doesn't mean that you cannot seek a different path for your life. You can set a better course and find a better destination. You don't have to be stuck in a diagnosis. 
you are better and far greater than any label that anyone can place upon you. Okay, I'm going to cut to a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, what you can do naturally to improve mental health and also share another story that I think you're really going to appreciate that illustrates so clearly my point about just giving the body what it needs, making a huge difference in how the body responds. Thank you, as always, for listening to me. I'll be back with a little bit more information for you in just a second. I'll be right back. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com, that's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you as always. I hope the first part of the show was useful for you. I hope it was provocative and made you think because I it is so hard for me to watch people suffer with mental illness and especially when they feel like they've got nowhere to turn. I love, love, love that my parents positioned me in a way that I had the ability to dig in deep on this stuff and find research that matters when it comes to helping people and not just covering up symptoms. Uh, the, the nutrition world is full of amazing answers, and uh, I am just so blessed to do what I do. I have a picture of my father on my desk where I record and uh, to remind me of how important it is and how grateful I should be for the man that he was and uh, the way that he raised me, thinking outside the box in so many different ways. Amazing man, Clyde St. Clair. As I'm recording today, it's my eight-year-old son's eighth birthday. Today, he turns eight. He's an amazing little man, my little Z. Man, I'll tell you, I just absolutely adore that kid. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, I just posted a bunch of awesome stuff about him and some pictures and videos and stuff. But uh, regardless, I'll tell you, 
I'm feeling so blessed right now. It's such an amazing life that I get to lead. I hope you feel the same. I have about 12, 13 minutes left on the show, and I promised I'd give you a little bit more insight on what you can do for your optimal mental wellness when it comes to nutrition. And so I'm going to frame it a little bit differently than what I typically would in that I want to start with children because to me, the biggest single thing that we have to be aware of, and it's what that article, if you were with me at the beginning in Parenting Magazine was talking about, is what's going on with our children with their mental wellness because it is believed and has been pretty much scientifically validated that most mental illness starts in our youth and uh, gets you know progressively worse as we age if we don't do something about it, basically. So if you've got a child that struggles with focus in school or is fidgety or even angry or violent, uh, regardless of what it is, if it feels like a mental health thing, let me give you a few questions to ask yourself about your child. What is my child eating? Now, this is one of the biggest struggles of all time, right? Because even if you feed your children really well at home, it's hard to know what they're going to get elsewhere. And even if you teach your children, like I have, what is and isn't good for them, uh, you may not always set the best example, like I don't always, by eating some of the things that aren't so good and then expecting them not to. That's not good, right? Or maybe you do eat really, really well, but your child is very picky. Maybe you eat really poorly and your child falls, follows suit. We all fall into one of these categories or any number of other categories in terms of what happens with diet. But it's important for us to understand a couple of things, especially if we have a child who is struggling with mental health. But everything I'm saying about your child also applies to you. Hormones in meat and dairy products can disrupt normal hormone production and signaling that happens, which can impact mood and behavior. When you're looking for dairy products, first, if you can, get raw. Raw is awesome. And if you need help with that, call us, 801-292-6662. We can give you resources where you can get raw milk, raw yogurt, raw butter, and a variety of other things. Heck, they even have raw chocolate milk. How's that one? Uh, So we can talk about that. If you can't get raw, organic. Organic is important because organic cattle have not been treated with hormones and have not been treated with antibiotics. And that's a big deal because the antibiotics in the meat, the antibiotics in the dairy, the hormones in the dairy and the meat play a huge role in disrupting how our bodies function effectively or prevent them from functioning effectively rather and can really disrupt not just the hormonal system, but also the gut microbiome, and that's a big deal. What about dyes in food? Have you considered it? We have Halloween a week away, and your child, if he or she goes trick-or-treating, will come home with a bag full of colorful treats, most of which are artificially colored, and that's a big deal. While I don't necessarily think that any one of these dyes is some hardcore poison that your child's going to drop dead if they eat it once or twice or on occasion, 
we should avoid these things as much as we possibly can, especially if we have children that struggle with mental illness. We know that red dye in particular is a neurotoxin, meaning it is toxic to the neurological system, to the central nervous system of the human body. And I get it, man. I get it completely. I have an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. They want bright, colorful stuff. Even though I've taught them how bad that stuff is, it is still a struggle. In fact, my eight-year-old gives me such a hard time. He's like, you're not going to let me have that, Dad, because it's blue or because it's got artificial colors. He gives me a hard time about it, and I kind of love it because I know some of it is sinking in. But I get that it's not easy. I understand. But we know that red, there is plenty of evidence, can create a neurological reaction artificial red dye that can include anger, depression, anxiety, and especially attention deficit type issues. Yellow is actually a known carcinogen. And in many European countries, neither of these colors are legal anymore for use at all because there's enough evidence that they are bad news. So if they're that bad, we ought to keep them out of our children's diets and out of our own. Antibiotics. If your child had antibiotics during the first four years of life, even if it was only one, but especially if it was, say, multiple ear infections or strep throat or sinus infections or whatever it was that had your child into the doctor getting antibiotics more than once during the first four years of life, that is a big problem and usually for the rest of our lives. It's during those first three to four years that our microbiome is fully formed. The good bacteria in and on our bodies is basically uh, set up for our whole life during those first three to four years. If your child was not delivered naturally, if it was a C-section, if your child was not breastfed for at least six months, but preferably 12 to 15 months, or if your child was given antibiotics during the first three years or any combination of those things, your child is likely significantly deficient in probiotics. It's not a quick fix, but it's a relatively easy fix. You can restore the microbiome through supplementation, even for children. The one that I recommend for children and adults that answer these questions in such a way that we know there's a deficiency is to give Just Thrive probiotic. It is a truly revolutionary product. Children can take a third or a quarter of a dose based on body weight. They don't have to take very much. It doesn't have to be very expensive, but over time, it can make a huge improvement in their mental neurological health as well as their physical health. We have to beware that not just in meat, where we have antibiotics and hormones, even in our grains and our vegetables and our fruits, we often have the chemical glyphosate, which is also known as the active ingredient in Roundup, which is a human antibiotic. So even though it doesn't behave like an antibiotic in a vegetable, it does behave like an antibiotic in the human gut. And that can disrupt the microbiome. So probiotics become even more important when we recognize how many different places we are getting antibiotics, even when they're not prescribed to us, they are in our environment in a big way. And then another question, is he or she getting enough nutrition generally? The first place to start is simple, protein. 
protein over carbs, especially at breakfast. If you've got a child or if you struggle with attention deficit, focus, fatigue, um, fidgetiness, anxiety, things like that, high carbohydrate breakfast, which most breakfasts are, especially the quick ones, are setting you up for failure for the rest of the day. They ramp things up in a way that is unsustainable for the body, and we end up with fatigue and a tired mind. Our body needs amino acids in the morning. It needs protein, and the amino acids come from that protein. So make sure if you are eating carbohydrates for breakfast that you eat a lot of protein and good healthy fats with those carbohydrates. But optimally, you're pushing your carbohydrates back a little bit further in the day, going mostly fats and proteins in the morning for your children as well. This means things like eggs trump things like cereal. Uh, Things like protein smoothies uh, can trump things like um, orange juice and so on. So that is a big deal and it means something and you will feel different if you treat your body this way. Give it a week with you and your children, high protein, high fats in the morning, lower carbohydrates, and see how you feel the rest of the day. You might be surprised. Are you getting enough key elements that are very hard to get in our diets? Is your child getting enough of them? It's fair to assume, fairly safe, I would say, that you are not in the case of magnesium and omega-3. I talked about those earlier uh, during the ramp portion of the show, but I can't emphasize them enough. 70% of the gray matter in the brain is made up of omega-3 fatty acids. If you're wondering how on earth you're going to give your kid fish oil, it doesn't matter. It's so stinking easy. I have, like I said, my 8 and 11-year-old, my 21-year-old and 23-year-old. It was the same with all of them. I would open the fridge. I would open up a bottle of Omega Swirl. They would tip their head back like a Pez dispenser and open their mouth, and I'd squirt it right in, and they loved it because it literally tastes like liquid dessert. It's amazing stuff. Super rich in Omega-3s. You have to get the right one, the high-potency one, to get enough, but it tastes great. It works great. It gives the brain the fat that it needs. And on top of that, it's incredibly good for them, for their cardiovascular system and everything else. If you are an adult and you love the idea of a great tasting dessert like omega-3, it works for you too. Or we have excellent uh, capsules of omega-3 that work as well. And then the last one I'm going to mention here as far as nutrients that is almost everybody with mental health issues would benefit from, magnesium. I can't hammer it home enough. I've talked about it on multiple different episodes of Vitality Radio. Uh, And so if you're listening to the podcast or if you haven't found the podcast yet, find it. Go back and listen to my conversations about magnesium. It is incredibly important to human nutrition. It plays a major role in battling stress and anxiety. It calms the human nervous system. It calms the the muscular system. It is very balancing. It can help with everything from insomnia to anxiety to depression to constipation and about a hundred things in between. Magnesium is critical. And there are so many ways that you can give it. If you're worried about your children, there are liquid magnesiums. There are powders you can mix into water or juice. There are chewable tablets that actually taste like a very tart, but not bad, sweet tart. Lots of good ways that you can do magnesium that work. Now, 
let's just say that you've ruled these things out. The red dye is gone. The artificial ingredients in your in your uh, foods are gone. Uh, you're no longer eating conventionally raised dairy. You're getting raw or at least organic. And you've seen improvements. Things are better, but there's still room to improve. There are a few things that you can help with uh, that, that, that can help that I wouldn't consider necessary, but can be very useful. And they're great for adults and kids as well. But two of them are chewables. And so kids love them because they taste really good. One's called Pharmagaba and one is called Theanine. They help to enhance focus and calm the mind. They're very, very safe. And they can be used in conjunction with just about anything else that you're doing. They work really, really well. Okay, I have officially run out of time. I told you I was going to tell you a story and I'm I'm going to hold it because it's a great story and I want to elaborate on it. So we'll talk about it next week on Vitality Radio. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, go tell somebody, share this show, share the knowledge. Let's help as many of us as we possibly can to find the truth about health, nutrition, fitness, and wellness. And if you like what you hear, like I said, share it. If you have questions about what you hear, call us, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662 at Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. If you're nowhere near Bountiful, but you can hear my voice, we can help you over the phone, 801-292-6662. Thank you so much again for listening to me on Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.